0: Friends, if you have Bibles or phone apps, go ahead and swipe them an on open to Proverbs chapter 17. We're going to look at one verse today as we kick off this brand new six-week series of talks called Friends Plus. You guys ready to go? Ready to do some learning? Okay, the Presbyterians were happy. There we go. Charismatics were like, four more songs, just four. Here we go. Hey, so uh, we're kicking off this six-week series and to set this up, I wanna do two things here tonight before our after-party commences. First thing I wanna do is just kind of set the table for the series, just give you a, a thematic overview to help us understand and orient ourselves to the kind of discussions I want us to be having. It'll be the first half. Second half, I wanna dive into the first uh, of the six talks on this subject of friendship and intentional friendship. And to set all this up, uh, I want to show you a picture of this house I was looking at the other day uh, on the interwebs. Uh, I think it's going to be on your screen here. It's really interesting. Um, we, we got the picture? No. Oh, no, nope, that's not it. It's a picture of a house. <laughs> that was the big reveal. Don't show that photo. No picture? Oh, he's getting it. So I was looking at a picture of a house the other day on uh, Zillow or Realtor. Oh, well, I'll just explain it for you. So it's this really interesting house. Okay? And basically you've seen these houses, you've been in these neighborhoods, right, where uh, you go by and you see one of those houses and you look at it and just, it just kind of creeps you out a little bit. You're like, ooh, something doesn't fit. And you can tell there's been an add-on, but it was an add-on that doesn't fit within the whole of the other house. So like this particular, particular photo, and it may come up, it may not, it's totally okay. Uh, basically what these people did is they had this house and it was a one-car garage because when the house was built, it was a one-car garage. Uh, But then their family grew, and so the owner of the house was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add on another garage, but we don't have any space within the house, so I'm just going to add it right over here. And it's going to look just like the first garage, but it's going to be a second garage. And so there's this beautifully square house, and then this just jutted out garage that looks all janky like it doesn't fit. You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's because I'm a suburban dad, and all my wife and I do is look at homes on Zillow. That's just like what we do in our board, even though we're not buying a new home. This is like, you should understand this. As soon as you move to the suburbs, that the minute you write the check for the HOA, it's like the thing you got to do in life is go to furniture stores and look at Zillow. That's all you do. I'm just giving you guys a preview of what's coming. I want you to know what's going to go on. But anyway, we're on there. We see this house. and We're like, man, that is just the weirdest thing in the world. You can just imagine as people in the neighborhood are walking by and they're looking at that house. There's like babies start crying in their strollers. People are on the walk. They're like, oh my gosh, that doesn't fit. That's clearly an awkward add-on. Like no one would, would notice that that just doesn't fit the architectural scheme of the neighborhood. What was that person thinking? It's just a weird, weird add-on. And the reason I bring that up, and some of you I can tell right now, I started off way too hot, you're like, Doug, it's real estate, let's maybe, I mean, there are children starving in the world, can we maybe tone it down about your architectural snobbery? But hey, listen, it's awkward, I'm just trying to tell you this. And so uh, I bring up that metaphor of just the awkwardly constructed house with the clear add-on, because I think it's such a brilliant metaphor for what we all do in our personal lives as we approach relationships, we go into these relationships doing all these other things with all these other motives, and then on the back end of it, once we've kind of uh, pursued our own selfish interests, we try to add on friendship on the other side. We pursue all these things over here, and then we get to some point in the relationship where we're like, oh, I wonder if we can kind of move this towards friendship. I'll give you a couple of examples just from my own personal life. The first one is like work friends. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're, you work together, and then you try to add friendship on to the mix. Okay, work friends. Your whole purpose and being around these people day in and day out is just you work together and occasionally you go out for lunch together, maybe some coffees, maybe you do the after hours, kind of happy hour kind of thing that goes on there. And you go, oh man, these guys are starting to become chummy with me. Like I think, I think we can make a life together here with these people. Bridesmaids in my wedding, groomsmen in my wedding, right? All that. And then inevitably what happens? You move to a new job and the friends don't move with you, right? I've had this plenty of times. I'm like, man, we are like best friends. Then I move to my next job and I text them. I'm like, man, I'm at the new job. It's really great. And they're like, who is this? I'm like, yo, bro, it's Doug. Like, remember we used to go to that thing? And they're like, man, I don't know who Doug is. Uh, Sorry, man, Uh, you got the wrong number. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? The only thing that's holding me together with them was this fact that we worked together. We weren't really friends. We were work acquaintances. I was hoping we could add to friendship, but it didn't work. Or maybe for you, it's school friends. Maybe you went to like the residential college thing and like you had the people that you were in the classes with and you all play basketball or intramurals or whatever. You went to the games, you went to the deals. And then like the second you leave college, they completely forget you. You try to add them as a friend on Facebook or Instagram and they just keep denying it every time. And you're like, bro, we like at two o'clock in the morning, we, we streak campus. Like, I feel like that maybe bonded us, but no. You change school, you leave school. There's no friendship. You never had a friendship. You were school acquaintances. You were classmates. You weren't friends. Or maybe for you, uh, maybe for you, you, you've had that experience with church friends. Oh, there's, we just got real there. We just, see, I was talking in theory and we just crossed the line into like personal business, Uh, right? You go to this one church and y'all are in the youth group. You're on the kids ministry. You're on the whatever ministry together. And it's like, these are my church friends because, you know, religion and Jesus and that should bring us together. And then you move towns or you move across town, you get the new apartment, the new job and you change churches. And suddenly they're not friends with you anymore. They were just church acquaintances. And you were thinking, because we both believed in Jesus, somehow that would passively lead you towards some kind of friendship, and it totally didn't. They were just church acquaintances. Or, okay, that wasn't enough stepping on toes. Let me just, can I go one level deeper into your personal business? Okay, here we go. What about the people you start off with pursuing romantic interests? Yeah, you know where I'm going now. That's my crowd. Now I put the thumb right on it, right? It's like your, you know, your non-committal lip, like your random make-out partner, right? And then, like, after a while, when the making out and the fooling around is good, you're like, I don't know, maybe we could form a friendship out of this. This is called friends with benefits. You know what I'm talking about. Well, not this crowd. You all have friends who do this, right? Right? It's the people that you're like, man, we started off dating, we started off romance, whatever, and then once the romance kind of went, and the dating was kind of boring, like you just kind of were like, hey, man, if there are no more benefits, there's no more friendship, right? Listen, confession time. This was me when I was your age, okay? I was making out with everybody, right? (laughs) And I just thought, hey, man, this is really cool. And, I, you know, the way I was raised, the way I thought things, I thought, man, we're just going to make out a lot. And then at some point, epic score will swell. And then all of a sudden it'll be like, do you want to? Yeah, do you want to? And then we buy a white dress and a tuxedo. Obviously, I'd be in the tuxedo, right? And we walked the aisle. And that was marriage. That's how it all went. But you guys know this. Friends with benefits, it's, it's not really friends. It's just the benefits. And even then, it's not always the benefits all the time, right? Uh, because that's not friendship. We try to do this all the time. We come up and we have all our friends and we pursue plus friendships. Can you see us over here? There's not great lighting. We may turn that on, right? This is most of us. Like we do all these other things. We pursue all these other things. And then we try to add friendship to the mix. that's the way our culture tells us that things happen. It's really just about convenience of needs. You have a need. They have a need. Let's just kind of go after the needs together. And then if the needs go long enough, we can maybe steer this thing into friendship and have a life together. Personal relationships, work relationships, school relationships, romantic relationships. But as I learned, and as I suspect most of us in this room have learned, that approach doesn't work. And so over the next six weeks, what I want us to consider is what if we move the plus sign to the end? There we go. What if we make this friends plus? What if in our approach to relationships, we pursue friendship first, which opens up the possibility of adding all these other things on much, much later? See, plus friends is the awkward house in the neighborhood where we add on the garage and it doesn't quite fit. But when we pursue friendship as our foundation, that's a house with good structure. We can add up, we can add out, we can add back. Friendship adding on other things. Friendship sets up everything we can do in life and gives us all possible options open to move that friendship into many other things. You pursue friendship with a group of people and then suddenly you wanna start a business together, that can work. Because if the business fails or if somehow you guys wanna sell out or whatever, guess what? Once the business goes away, what do you have left? Friendship. And if you're friends together and you guys want to go to grad school together or do something and do that, go to school, whatever, you get through school. Once school is over, guess what? After school is over, what do you have left? Friendship. You want to start a church together with a bunch of friends. You get your friends together. Let's go plant a church. Let's start a ministry. Let's start an outreach program. Let's do something. And it goes and it goes and goes. And then finally, at the very end, you go, hey, I think God's moving me in another direction. You move to another part of town. Guess what? You're still friends. And what we're going to learn about in a few weeks if you pursue friendship with a whole group of friends and then you add dating onto that, which is totally possible, and dating doesn't work out, you go, oh man, I don't think this is going to move towards marriage. Sure, hard conversation, but once dating dissolves, guess what you still have? Friendship. The, the approach to relationships that we want to strongly recommend here at the table is that all of us get into the habit of pursuing friendship with as many people as possible, And then as we pursue those friendships and as chemistry starts to develop with particular people, we consider adding things on much, 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 much later in the process after friendship is the foundation and it's already developed. Now, I want to talk about this concept just a little bit more and you're going to see some things that will come on the screen here. Uh, You guys have maybe heard this said in the whole dating world specifically, there's like people who are in the friend zone and people who are in the dating, whatever, how you talk about it, the dating sphere. Like, I see this with girls all the time. I'll say, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? And they're, oh, I friend-zoned him. And I'm like, that's always a negative. It's never a positive. It's like, oh, no, he's a friend, right? Just a friend zone, which is very revealing about how our culture thinks about friendship. You're not good enough for me to sleep with one day. You're just a friend. What kind of horrible people are you gonna sleep with one day if it's not a friend, right? Like you're like, you know what? That guy just killed four people. I think we have a life together, right? (laughs) Yeah, does he have a face tattoo? Well, maybe a little bit later, right? Like that's the whole thing that comes out. It's like, oh yeah, there's the guys who are good enough for me to date or the girls who are good enough for me to date. And then there's everybody I put in the friend zone. So here's the first thing I want to just say up front over the next six weeks. I'm going to say this over and over and over again. As much as you can, put everybody in the friend zone. I think the approach of wisdom and the the approach we're going to see from Scripture is to put everybody into the friend zone, dot, 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 except toxic people, right? You set boundaries with the toxic people. Next week, we're going to talk about that. What do I do if I meet someone and they're toxic? We'll talk about that next week. But in general, I want us to uh, consider putting everyone we meet into the friend zone. And to redeem that zone as something that's actually noble and worthy of pursuit and worthy of cultivating. Because you never know. You put everybody in the friend zone. You never know what God might do out of that. You never know what you might be able to add to that friend zone much, much later. Be it a working relationship or a church planning partnership or dating or marriage. And so that's what we're going over the next six weeks. To get there, we're going to have to do something really important right up front. We're going to have to define what it means to be a friend. And so with your Bibles open, I want to look at uh, Proverbs 17. We're going to look at one verse, just verse 17 there. And we're going to get our definition of what it means to be a friend. Solomon at least collects this and writes this. He says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I want to focus on that first part of that phrase there, a friend loves at all times. Now, if you don't know much about Proverbs, uh, Proverbs was either written or at least collected by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was uh, the son of King David, if you remember David and Goliath, okay, that David grew up, did a lot of really good things, lived in a lot of sexual brokenness, and one of his kind of moments of sexual brokenness is that he had this affair with a woman named Bathsheba, and that wasn't bad enough, right? He also had Bathsheba's husband killed, Uh, That was pretty bad. Uh, And then they got pregnant, and that baby died, and they kind of went through a healing process. And then after their marriage kind of stabilized, and David went through a healing process, they had a second son. That son was Solomon. Solomon became king of Israel in the most prosperous time of Israel's history. And Solomon was just a really quirky cat, right? He, he was kind of like the John Maxwell of his time, if you know that name. Like he just loved wisdom and leadership and pithy sayings. And so he created this whole collection of wisdom literature that we know today as Proverbs is one of the main books. He's collected all these wise sayings and he was obsessed with friendship. He says over and over again in Proverbs, this is what a friend is, this is what a friend is, this is what a friend is. And his chief definition of what it means to be a friend is this definition here. A friend is someone who loves at all times? And so I just want to unpack that theologically for just a little bit and then make some application uh, just after that. So just kind of bear with me. Two things I want you to notice here from this makeshift definition that Solomon gives us. Number one is the idea of love. Love is an ideal that is personally experienced resulting in behavior. This is the definition of love. Love is his ideal or an idea. It gets personally experienced, so we've moved from the head to kind of the emotions and the experience of it, and then results in a changed, consistent behavior we have towards others. And a good cross-reference of this definition is what John tells us about Jesus in uh, his later writing, 1 John four nineteen. He says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. In other words, Jesus created the idea of love, conceived it before the foundations of the earth. Jesus being God is with the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, just, I don't know, playing poker in eternal time, you know, before there's ever creation of, you know, any kind of created time. And they had this idea of love and they're like, man, what if we created this universe project and made love at the center of it? So they press play and the universe gets created. Humanity is part of that creation process. And so the Godhead sends Jesus to earth. And he comes and he lives out this idea of love. And as part of that process, lives this life, dies on a cross, overcoming sin. And then is buried and resurrected after three days, overcoming death. And then he ascends into heaven and he tells the Christians who've gathered there, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've taught you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. And those 200 to 300 disciples then go and start to change the world through this ethic of love, and the reason they do so is not so much because they caught on to the idea and just cerebrally were like, man, this is an incredible concept. Let's see if we can uh, mass market it, and we can make a lot of money on this, right? No, they experienced the love from Jesus. It went from an idea to some kind of experienced personal relationships, and so in turn, they now live this out in the way they live their lives. Love is always this idea that gets experienced when we come into contact with the gospel. We understand Jesus loves us no matter what. He lavishly loves us. There's nothing we can do to earn more of it. There's nothing we can ever do to to somehow screw that up. And we become secure in the love of that gospel. And it frees us up to now love everybody around us lavishly. That's the kind of love that Solomon is talking about there. Uh, I have two kids. If you don't know this, again, suburban dad. I look at Zillow all the time. Um, so I have two kids, Grace, seven, James, four. And um, it's really, I'm, I'm a really quirky person. Uh, one of the things that I do all the time is when I transition and I'm, you know, you have the filler words when you're transitioning in your thoughts and you just say them out loud. For some people, it's like, uh, uh, which is my default posture. But through enough speaking coaching, I've learned not to say that. So what I do instead is I will say so, but I will like hang it out there. Like I'm a, like I'm a soccer Uh, announcer saying, goal, I'll just say, so, forever, so. It looks kind of like this. I'll just go, so, (sighs) and then I'll go into my next thing as I'm collecting my thoughts. Just a really quirky thing I do. I do this all the time. Well, I put my daughter to sleep the other night, (laughs) and I said, oh, Grace, you know, let's talk about it. How was your day? And she goes, so, I had a good day at school, and I was like, oh, okay, wow, it's like, i got to be very careful about the words that I say. Like, that, that, there's kind of a little thing there. Well, Grace spends all her time playing with my son, James, her brother, uh, all the time, backyard or whatever, and I've noticed it's really interesting, James has started imitating Grace. And um, now, I say so all the time in the house, but Grace says it too, and they play together a disproportionate amount of time relative to what I play with her. Anyway, bottom line, uh, I'm in the backyard, and I'm kicking a soccer ball with James, and I was just like... I was like, man, James, what did you think about your break? You know, MLK Day, we had some time off, we're playing soccer, what do you think? And he goes, so, do you think that dragons grow out of sand? <laughs> and I had two thoughts. Number one, I don't know, I need to get on Wikipedia, like, right now, because that's a good question. Like, I think that's the prompt for a massive research project at the PhD level, James. You got a real shot here, kid. That was my first thought. Second thought was, Wow. This thing that I do, Grace now does, and James now does. And James does it not only because he sees me doing it, but because he sees Grace doing it. And this so awkward transition is now becoming part of our culture and our family. I really need to change that because that pro- we probably shouldn't move this forward. We've got to come up with a better term here. But I was kind of, endu- it was enduring. Like it was just really cool. And, and this image right here is a great analogy for what went on right here, that Jesus loved everybody. And so believers in Jesus decided because they saw the idea and because they experienced it from him that they started behaving this way towards others and that's how the church got going. Friends are someone who have not only known love but they have experienced it from Jesus and they now behave it in the way that they relate to everybody else. And they behave it in a certain way. And it's the second term here. Notice a friend loves in that way at all times. It's consistency. It's consistency. A friend loves at all times. It's consistency. A friend loves in a consistent way at all times and all places. They're not inconsistent in the way they love. They're increasingly consistent in the way that they love people as Jesus loves them. That's the definition of a friend. Now, we have a saying around here that we say all the time. One of our axioms are very axiomatic about the way we do things, and it goes like this. Consistency breeds momentum. In life, this is true, consistency breeds momentum. You want to become a better singer so you can sing on stage or you can so you can sing in life groups? Well, you just practice singing and singing and singing and singing. And if you get your reps in, Malcolm Gladwell has taught us, after 10,000 hours, that consistency will breed momentum into some, some excellence in that skill. Public speaking, if you want to be a life group leader, you want to teach on stage, you want to teach at retreats or other things like that, consistency in public speaking is going to breed that momentum. It's true of all skills that we have. But it's also true in all of our behaviors, any kind of habits we want to develop. Consistency breeds momentum. And consistent love breeds friendship momentum. And that's what Solomon's trying to teach us. If you will love the way Jesus loves us consistently over and over and over again in all places and all times, that's going to breed this invisible thing that you can just kind of feel. It's a friendship momentum so our definition of friendship that I would encourage you to write down or take a screenshot of it is is this here. Friendship is the relational momentum generated by consistent love or through consistent love towards others. Friendship is the relational momentum that's generated from consistent love towards others. If you consistently love somebody, love them and love them and love them and love them. You keep looking at Jesus and he keeps loving you and you keep loving somebody and you imitate that and you imitate it consistently over time. You're going to notice, especially if they love you back and they love you back consistently, there's just this thing that happens where you develop this this kind of momentum together. And that momentum, the way you describe it, is called friendship. That's why... Whenever you've been in a dating relationship or whatever, any kind of other relationship, you may have, you know, as it's coming to its end, you kind of feel it. You, you will typically, or you will hear somebody describe it this way. We're just not going anywhere. You ever said that in a dating relationship? Maybe mom asks you or dad asks you at Thanksgiving uh, in the most awkward time. Like, so, are you seeing anybody? You're like, oh, my gosh. Yes, I'm seeing somebody. Oh, cool. You think it's serious? No, I don't think it's serious. Oh, are you going to break up with them? Probably after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas, I don't have to buy them a gift. Like there's some economic ramifications. Like, I guess got to plan it the right way. Well, why are you breaking up with them? Because you know, you're getting up in age. You're 24, right? You know, uh, in Christian world, that's like 90. Uh, so you know, I ring on the finger or whatever. And you're like, you're like, listen, it's just not going anywhere. Well, What are you saying? There's no momentum, You have no friendship. It's inconsistent, and therefore, it's not tracking in the direction that it needs to go. Notice, this definition is that love, a friend loves at all times, loves consistently. Notice I didn't use the other C word. I didn't say out of convenience. Yeah, that hit right there. (laughs) Right there. There's a lot of mmm. Right? Everybody goes from like a soprano to a tenor in that part. They're like, oh, that's really fun. Uh, (laughs) uh, Because it's hitting at the gut. Uh, Friendship is not based on convenience. It's not loving when it's convenient for me. Uh, Consistency breeds momentum. Convenience breeds isolation. And so if you're someone who's trying to build relationships based on when it's convenient for you, the whole tender approach to trying to get friends, well, I could help this person today, but it just doesn't work out in my schedule. I've got Netflix to binge later on, and you know that wine's not gonna drink itself, so you uh, gotta jump on the tub here. Obviously, I'm talking about guys, um, right? You're just thinking about this. If you're trying to just love when it's convenient for you, guess what? You're gonna be lonely. And can I just say something? My suspicion is there's a lot of us who are here today who are really, really lonely. And might it be that part of the reason we're lonely is because we're so focused on ourselves, either because we're selfish or because we're insecure, and I struggle with both those things, just in full disclosure, so I'm talking to myself here, but because we're so selfish and insecure, we're thinking about ourselves all the time, and so it, it just cripples us from ever trying to love with any kind of consistency. We're loving out of convenience. If it's convenient, if I can get there in time, if it's good for me, and what we find is convenience is just continuing to lend itself to loneliness. In 2020, if you guys are gonna wake up To the richness of friendship, it's going to require us to love with consistency. And that consistency will generate this momentum. And that momentum is called friendship. Now, that's me telling you about this. So let me try to show you what I think this looks like with some clear strategies here. Because I think there are a lot of us here who are lonely and are like, man, Doug, I want to love people with consistency, but man, I need just a little bit of a framework here to help me do this. And so I'm glad you guys have hypothetically asked this in this dialogue we're having right now. And so I want to turn to the picture of the best person I know who's a friend, and it's this guy, Jesus, we've been talking about. Luke describes Jesus in this way. He says, the son of man is a friend of sinners. Jesus is the best friend who has ever lived. He's the smartest man who has ever lived. He is the best friend who ever lived. And he loved in a very particular way that gives us a really clear framework for friendship and trying to love in this consistent way. And it's uh, mentioned here. So if you want to write this down or screenshot it in John 1.14, again, earlier in John's life, um, he's writing about this idea of Jesus. And he says this, and the word Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Three big categories that comes here. Three ways that Jesus, I think, loved in a consistent way. He was consistent in dwelling with one another. He was consistent in discussing truth with one another. And he was uh, consistent in displaying grace with one another. He's consistent in dwelling with one another or among one another. He was consistent in displaying grace with one another. He's consistent in discussing truth with one another. Jesus dwelled in truth and in grace, in grace and in truth consistently. And if you think about this, this becomes a really interesting framework for evaluating yourself. Because listen, if you're going to be the friend, the kind of friend that your friends want to be friends with, okay, it's not going to start with them, Okay, because love isn't convenient. It'd be really convenient if just you could be passive and they'd be like, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna love you. And you wake up one day and you're like, cool, I guess I'll love you back. That would be really great, but friendship rarely starts that way, guys. Friendship starts with you and Jesus sitting around thinking through the gospel and going, you know what? I'm resolved today that if this is the way you're gonna love me, Jesus, I'm gonna love everybody else this way. And so let's saddle up the horses and ride. Bad boys for life, let's do this. We ride together, we die together. Let's go, Jesus. Me and you, we're loving everybody in Orlando right now. And I think if you have that kind of active, intentional strategy, and I think if you try to love Jesus or love people in this way, in dwelling and in grace and in truth, I I just suspect that maybe in this season of 2020, you might find the consistency that breeds the friendship momentum. So let's look at this. Number one, uh, Jesus did three things consistently well as the model friend. Number one, he dwelled with others. He loved them up close you cannot love people from a distance. You're going to have to get in their world. He dwelled among us. Jesus could have spent his entire life uh, just existing in the either region, like he set up the universe and all the natural laws and could have just went play and sat back with his popcorn and be like, cool. All right. Yeah. Orlando, great city. Man, really underrated beach vibe. Don't tell people, right? He could have just been like a kind of passive observer, but what Jesus did is he dwelled among us. He got into the messiness of our brokenness. And if you're going to be a good friend who loves consistently, you're going to have to be consistent in the way that you dwell among one another. So I have this friend group. This is a picture that I think was on the screen earlier. It's a picture of, yeah, so these are, these are my peoples. Um, this is, I'm going to look on the screen. So uh, right over here is Chris Warren. His wife, Erin Warren, is flanking the other side. That's me and my wife, Natalie, in the middle, in the back and in the front row, kind of doing the sorority squat, uh, is uh, our friends Brian and Tamara Richards. And when we first moved to Orlando four years ago, we moved here sight unseen, didn't know anybody. You know, like most of us, we kind of land in Orlando and we think, I'll just go to Disney till I find people. Uh, and so we, we kind of got here, we came on staff and we kind of started meeting people. And we, listen, when you get to be my age, I'm just, I'm just previewing again, okay? When you get to be my age, especially if you're a suburban parent, there are two ways that you make friends, okay? When you're not at Ikea or looking at Zillow, you're doing this, right? Number one, you're finding people who are in your phase of life who have kids. Doesn't matter how old they are. You just need people in your phase of life who have kids. Married, married with kids, two different categories, right? Married with kids it just brings a whole other level. And so typically you're like, okay, where are the married people who have kids? Let's try to find them. The other approach is you find the friends of your kids, so your kids' friends, and you become parents, uh, friends with their parents, right? That's the second strategy. And so this group right here is one of each right? Chris and Aaron have a daughter who's my daughter's age. And so we saw that they could be friends. And we're like, we're going to be friends with you guys. Uh, And then we saw Brian and Tamara, whose kids are much younger than my kids, but they have kids, but they're about our age. And we're like, we're going to be friends with you guys, right? We didn't know them from Adam. We didn't know anything about them. We were just like, hey, do you love Jesus? They said, yes. Do you love Jesus? Yes. And so just out of necessity, because we needed to say friends, we were like, listen, you guys eat food, right? And they're like, yeah, we eat food. Like, okay. We cook food, and we, we also eat it sometimes when we cook it. Like sometimes we cook and just leave it out and admire it. But some you know, more often than not, we cook it and then we eat it, but we always cook too much. It's a huge problem. Wonder if you guys could be the solution, right? Why don't you come over to our house and we'll cook food and you guys can sit around and we can just become friends. And so we created this whole group called our Supper Club. The whole excuse was, we need safe friends, we'll cook you food, come over, Right? And uh, they all basically live in kind of in our neighborhood. So they're like, sure, that sounds great. So they came over. And again, we didn't know them. The first meal was like, cool, all right. So here's your chicken, okay. And here's your green beans and sweet tea. No, no sweet tea, just unsweet tea. Cool, center, okay, Uh, (laughs) right. We just did the whole thing. No judgment with grace, whatever, okay. And we sat down and we got to know each other. And for the first year, all we did was just kind of eat together every three weeks. We would eat at our house. Then we'd go over to the Richard's house. And we go over to the Warrens' house. And the Warrens didn't know the Richards. The Richards didn't really know the Warrens either. And so we were all kind of getting to know each other. And that's it. We were dwelling with one another. That's it. We ate together. And eventually, because you guys know this, it takes time to build trust. And then once you have trust, you can be transparent and once you get to transparency, that's where the real transformation and the momentum of friendship starts. So it took time for us to get trust. And once we start trusting each other, dwelling took on a whole new form, dwelling together. Uh, one day, Chris called me up. Chris is this, like, genius engineer, Georgia Tech undergrad. He has two master's degrees from Rollins and from... Uh, uh, University of Florida, go Gators. I'm sorry, Florida State fans. I'm just, I'm just using this descriptively. Anyway, super, super smart, worked for NASA. That wasn't hard enough. So he's like, I'm going to make D- Disney more money. And so Disney hired him and he makes Disney a lot of money uh, doing data analysis and cool things like that. But he is a giant nerd. For fun, because uh, it's not nerdy enough to do an engineering, for fun, he um, fixes up arcade games. Like he'll buy busted arcade games and then fix them up and then play them in his like living room he literally has four games game consoles in his living room giant ones are like this tall and he's like so he called me one day he was like uh hey Doug um you know I know we're just kind of getting to know each other but I found this arcade game in this part of town and I need someone to help me go there and get it and just like load it in my truck and bring it home now we've probably been friends six to seven months at this point I was like, I don't have any other friends and I don't have anything else to do. Sure, I'll go with you. And so he came and picked me up and we drove to this one part of town and I'm telling you, he was buying from a weed dealer. It was so <laughs> crazy. It was, the, it was the weirdest weed house I've been in. I've been in a lot of them. I'll tell you that story next week. Um, but we, we like get out and we walk in and this guy's like a boomer kind of weed dealer. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like an old guy with like the long gray hair and he's wearing like the Bahama shirt or whatever, and he's got, like, the the cargo shorts and then the Crocs on, right? Some of you are like, that was my uncle, right? Um, so, like, we walk in, and he's just like, hey, man, there's, like, Beach Boys music playing in the background. I say, hey, man, come on, we'll go in the back and get this. And I'm like, Chris, what have you got me into? And Chris is pretty straight-laced, and he was like, I don't know what we're doing here. I don't know the protocol, but it's Galaga. I got to go get it, right? Um, and so... There's all these plants growing over here, and the guy sees that we see this and recognizes the awkwardness situation, and so to try to cover it up, he's like, yeah, my girlfriend's like a botanist. We were like, sure. Uh, <laughs> it's cool, man. Just show us the Galaga. We'll be fine. So he gets back. We get the machine. We get it in the truck. We drive away, and we're just in that awkward silence, and then Chris looks at me and was like, that was weird. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was weird. And that was one of our first kind of play experiences. I was like, man, so I, I picked up this machine. We took it back to his house. I helped him move it into his garage. He was like, thanks, man. I was like, hey, you're welcome. If you ever need anything, man, just let me know. You know, we're, we're friends. And that's what friends do. And he's like, okay. I was like, okay. It was awesome. And we had this little moment where we looked at each other. This is how guys bond. They look at each other and they just do this thing. That's it. Then you walk out, you just drop the mic and you walk out because we said everything with that nod. We said, I love you, dog. You're my boy, bad boys for life. And we, that's it. We just, that was just the nod right there. So that happened. It was really great. Uh, After a while, we kind of figured out because anytime they came over to my house, I would always turn on my 90s mix. Well, the first time they came over, I had Hillsong on because Christianity, right? Uh, But I kind of was like, it was, it was like a Hillsong mix, but every so often there'd be a Tupac song that would come in. And I'd be like, oh, Tupac, what are my kids doing? I don't know. And then after a while, those were like intentionally put there. There'd be like a Nirvana song came on. And Chris was like, oh, I love Nirvana. I was like, really? You're a Christian who listens to non-Christian music? We could be friends, right? <laughs> uh, and then like a Brian McKnight song came on. Uh, like, do I ever cross your mind anytime? Anyway, <clears throat> it's so good. Anyway, and <laughs> Brian Richards was like, I love Brian McKnight. I've seen him like 12 times in concert. I've touched him twice. Security guard made me back up once. It was awesome. I was like, dude, this is awesome. You guys like 90s music? They were like, yeah. And so one of the things we realized is we all like our wives started chiming in at that point. They were like, oh, we love 90s music. I was like, this is amazing. Uh, and they were like, we love Boys to Men. I was like, we love Boys to Men. Well, Chris works for Disney, and Boys to Men is at Disney every November for uh, Eat to the Beat. Uh, for the food and food competition or whatever. It's not food and wine, we're Baptists, food and food. And um, so we just kind of were like, oh, you like this? And so this picture is actually, I think, the third time we went and saw boys to men together in three years at uh, food and wine. And man, we, we dwelled together. We dwelled together. You can't love somebody from a distance. We had to get up in each other's worlds. I'm willing to go grab a Galaga game from a weed dealer in parts of Orlando because you're my boy, right? That's just how we roll. So you got to dwell together. That's the first part. Let me hurry this up. Part two. Uh, Jesus, uh, are you growing uh, in dwelling with one another? Are you growing in consistency and demonstrating grace with one another? Okay? This is a phrase I want to just recommend to you guys. And so I just want you to repeat after me. We're friends. We can get through this. That's it. That's compassion. We're friends. We can get through this. Hey, man, you really just offended me with what you said. I'm really hurt by it. But you know what? We're friends. We can get through this. Some of us, we're friends until you offend me, and then I'm out because you're a jerk. And I don't want to be around people who talk honestly with me, like, I just, I, who, who risk offending me. And so we just get up out, right? Right? We're friends, we can get through this. This is compassion. Jesus looked upon people and he had compassion for them. And he lived in grace and truth. And when people messed up, he he didn't suddenly stop and go, oh, that's okay. He was like, well, that was a mess up. But listen, we're friends, we can get through this. In my friend group, the people I showed you on there, I mess up all the time, at least once per dinner. Um, Because I just say whatever's on my mind with no filter. I think you guys are getting that impression here today. and and I, I I offend. I step on toes. I say the wrong thing. I say the wrong thing in front of their kids. And I'm just like, uh, earmuffs kids, uh, right? We have to have those moments, whatever. And occasionally they're like, man, Doug, like. Like, you can't say that around our kids. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Now, in that moment when I'm feeling vulnerable, because I just said that really inappropriate phrase around your kids uh, and my kids, and my wife is also giving me the dagger looks, like, Doug, we are in public. We are Christians. You're on staff at the church, right? All that stuff, and we're having that moment. They could be like, you know what? That was the line. That was a bridge too far, and you're done here. And I would understand, because there are stupid things that I say, and I would get it, and I would get up, and I would walk out. But here's the thing. A friend loves at all times, including the times where that one friend says the dumb thing and offends everybody in the room. And so they look at him, they go, listen, what you just said was inappropriate, but listen, we're friends. We'll get through this. And I'm so thankful for my friends who love me enough to not only call me on my stuff, but also have compassion and grace with me as I try to figure this stuff out. The third part of this. You grow in consistency in your dwelling with others, you, live, you love them up close, you grow in consistency in demonstrating grace with others, and you grow in your consistency in discussing truth with others. It's not just the grace side where you go, hey, we're friends, we can get through this. It's the truth side too. They've gotta be balanced. I, I, I observe this sometimes, young adults especially, the way that we, we build friendships in our young adult years uh, is that we just kinda let everything fly it's kind of like, yeah, that works for you, and this works for me, and I'm not going to judge you. The, the thing that would be the worst, right, is like, uh, I have these friends, they don't judge me. And oftentimes what we mean by that is, I have these friends, they don't hold me to any kind of standard. And let me just say this, you don't want friends who don't hold you to any kind of standard. What I think we want, what Jesus seemed to practice, what I'm talking about here, is friends who will hold all of us to the same standard, which is the life of Jesus, If Jesus does it, we can do it. If Jesus abstains from it, we abstain from it. And we all hold each other to that standard. Again, we're friends. We can get through anything. But I'm also going to tell you that what you just said, Doug, was inappropriate because of Jesus. Jesus said, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And that was bordering upon unwholesome. And so I'm going to hold you to that standard, much like I'm going to hold everybody else to that standard. But we're friends and we can get through this and I can have grace with you. See, we have to strike that grace with the truth. And one of the best ways we can do this is in our groups of friends is that we discuss truth. Hey, what'd you think of that sermon on Sunday? They brought up this truth. What do you think about this? Hey, this new book came out, this new theology book or this new Christian book, and they're talking about truth. What do you guys think about that? One of the other ways we can do this is just by praying for one another. Hey, we're all going through hard times. As you got to know this. In our group, Even though we're adults, we're almost hitting 40 here, we're all suburban parents, we go through hard times. There's career pressures, there's parental stuff we deal with, and maybe you guys think you're the only ones who deal with parental stuff, but guess what? It gets worse when you have kids because now you have grandparents and that whole dynamic. And it's just hard as your parents get old and you're kind of in the sandwich generation where you're taking care of your parents a little bit and you're taking care of your kids and it's stressful and the stress causes you to do things and act out in certain ways and you just get frustrated. But one of the best things you can do with your friends is go, hey, man, let's remember what the truth of the gospel is, and let's just pray and ask Jesus to do some work in our hearts as we discuss and align around truth. A friend loves at all times. And uh, as I'm talking about all this, I'm just, uh, I'm just reminded of this one key moment where I think I was aware of the momentum of our friendship in our supper club. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Chris called me one time and said, hey, let's go pick up this arcade game. Um, there's another time where uh, Brian, I was doing a work project. I think I may, actually, I think I was building this table here. Yeah, I was. I was building this table here, but I needed a router to finish off something. And I was like, man, I don't have a router. What do you guys think? And Brian was like, one second. And he drove over and he brought me a router. And I was like, cool, man. I got to use a router. I borrowed it, obviously. He didn't go buy it for me. That'd have been real cool. But, um, and he would have done that. Brian, if you're watching this later, you totally would have done that. I love you, dog. Um, but I had this one moment where, where the friendship, I could feel the momentum. And I'm telling you this story because I want you to kind of understand the benefit of approaching friendship first and then adding all this stuff to it, right? So we were practicing friendship, we're dwelling, grace and truth, all this stuff. And then this one night, uh, it was right as the summer's kicking off in Orlando, our air conditioning unit just died. You guys ever been in a house when an air conditioning unit dies in Orlando? Yes, yes. Like you're like, no, that'll be fine. And then one second, literally one second into it dying, you're like, this is hell. We have like, number one, Jesus, I wanna get right. Cause I don't wanna go to hell. Number two, we gotta get somebody out here to fix this stuff. So we had the deal. We get in our group chat and I text, Hey, uh, our air conditioner died. Again, we just moved here. We don't know who should we call to get this to come fixed. You know, let us know. And you know, what we're expecting is our friends to love us to just go call this person or call this person or whatever. And I would've been totally fine with that. But here's the, the response I got back. Chris gets on and Chris never texts. Like Chris never texts because he just is, this is not, he, he's a phone call guy, he's in, he doesn't text. So I, we send it out in the mass text. Chris sends me a private message. And he said, don't call an air conditioning company. I'll be over there in a little bit, in five minutes and we'll fix this thing. And I was like, okay, engineer Chris. <laughs> I was like, this is great and I get a, I think I got a text from Brian too. Uh, he goes, hey man, I can come over and help you. I'm not very good at this stuff, but I can eat Cheetos and drink Coke and just like cheer you on. So, but I got you. I want to be in this. So Chris comes over and I mean like within five minutes, gets out of his car, men in black style. He has like the the vacuum thing and he's like, he's got this power cord thing and he's like, where are your units? And he walks upstairs and he's, he looks at everything. He's like tinkering with stuff and like pulling out a computer. And he goes, give me a second. And he starts doing his little thing. He's sucking out all the junk from the wherever and the air conditioning unit. And then he's like, okay. And then he turns to me, he goes, this is how you clean this out. And so he starts explaining what's going on. He's like, you get this thing and you do this, whatever, and I can show you what you need to buy and whatever. And he kind of okay let's go downstairs and I follow him downstairs turns on his light does this thing hooks up the hose sucks the thing out from the bottom one it's like okay you also need to check this thing and he starts explaining it to me he's writing it down he's sending it to me like he's sending me all these links because he's an Enneagram one if you know what that means and so he had this exact kind of thing we need and I was like this is incredible and then he got done and he was like okay let's go turn it on Poof, cold air and I was like oh my gosh this is incredible and, and I was like, dude, can, can I pay you? Like, what can I do? This is incredible. Thank you not only for teaching me how to do this, but for taking care of this for me. And it's like such quick service. Like, this is incredible. Can I pay you? Can I do something? And he stopped me. And Chris has this, this funny way of doing things. He'll say silly. That's his word. He'll, ha, you're so silly. But he, but he doesn't say it. He says it in like the most macho, like, I was a high school soccer stud, like don't mess with me in a dark alley kind of way, right? He was like, oh, you're so silly. Like imagine how the rock would say this. That's how Chris said this. He was like, you're so silly. And he looked at me, he goes, we're friends. This is what friends do for one another. A friend loves at all times. The things we really want in life, they don't happen by accident. They happen through an intentional process of leaning into the gospel of Jesus Christ and understanding that picture of love coming down to us and then resolving to demonstrate that love and our consistent behavior to everybody we put into our friend zone. And my gut suspicion about this next few months is that if everybody in this room would resolve to love one another, to love a group of people in that way, that God might create this momentum called friendship. You may not even see it coming. They may not be your first draft round pick friends, but this group of people I'm consistently loving suddenly emerge and you have this moment one day where you're in need and they come over and they help you and you go, hey, can I Venmo you some cash? And they go, silly, no, we're friends. This is what friends do for one another over and over and over and over all the time in all the ways. Consistently. And suddenly when you're at Thanksgiving this year, someone goes, Hey, you're dating anybody? You go, you know, I'm not dating anybody. But let me tell you something. I got these great friends. And they're the they're the most random assortment of characters. I never would have picked them in the first place, maybe some of them, but the other ones are just kind of a surprise. And listen, we got this really good thing going on, and I think it's going places because there's momentum. So, if you're up for that, can I just challenge you with this? This season, would you attempt, in Jesus' name, to put a whole bunch of people into your friend zone? And then who knows what God might do out of that? Let's pray together.